listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. To hear the full show each day, tune in to AM550 and FM102.9 WDUN or log in to accesswdun.com and click the Listen Live button from 9 to 11, Monday through Friday. Niall Standage, welcome to the program. How are you? Good. Great to be here, Martha. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. Um, Okay, so... Uh, of course, it was big news uh, the other day when former President Trump was indicted again. Um, you know, there are some that say uh, that, you know, that the timing of this was suspect, but everybody knew it was coming. It's kind of like I live in North Metro Atlanta, and right as we speak, stanchions are being put around the Fulton County Courthouse, and there's an expectation in the next couple of weeks there'll be another indictment uh, mm. against the former president. What are your takeaways of this particular indictment against former President Trump? Well, I think there are a number of things, Martha. One is that the charges are serious. I don't want to downplay that at all, particularly two charges relating to the obstruction of an official proceeding where the former president to be found guilty of either of those. The maximum sentence is 20 years. Now, of course, we expect him to plead not guilty today, uh, today here in Washington. And like any other citizen, he will have the chance to uh, defend himself in court. It was notable, I thought, that he wasn't charged with anything uh, like aiding an, an insurrection or uh, any matter like that. Obviously, uh, the, the broad case relates to what happened on January the 6th. But when the January the 6th Select Committee in the House of Representatives had investigated this matter, they had made a referral, which essentially means a recommendation, uh, that the former president be charged with aiding an insurrection. No such charge was pursued in the end. And then what are some other things, because you, you wrote a piece, five takeaways. What are some other things that stood out to you when you read the indictment? So one of the things was just how central this question will be of whether the then president was knowingly lying when he talked about the election being stolen or whether he sincerely believed that to be the case. That question is very, very important to his ultimate legal culpability or otherwise. And what we see in the indictment is prosecutors lay out the number of people who pushed back on the then president's claims and told them they were untrue. So that ranged from the uh, senior members of the Department of Justice, uh, the Director of National Intelligence, other arms of government, and of course, uh, state legislators. I mean, I I don't need to, uh, I'm sure, retell for your benefit or your listeners' benefit what happened in Georgia with Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, which was a, a whole episode in itself. So I think the fact that the prosecutors put so much emphasis on those issues was uh, an interesting point. Yeah, and I, look, I, my gut feeling tells me that I don't know if the way to handle Donald Trump is is through the legal system. I think that he needs to be beaten at the ballot box or Joe Biden needs to be beaten at the ballot box. I think that's the way we handle political situations. Um, it it is It is disconcerting to me that it's gotten to this point because in the past, you know, we have not gotten to this level with a person that's a political figure like Donald Trump. 
Uh, maybe there's never been anybody like Donald Trump. But I think back to, you know, uh, and, I, and I wish that he had acted in a different way, if you want to know the truth, Niall, because uh, you look at Richard Nixon, for example. You know, mm-hmm. he had a very legitimate case to contest his election in 1960 or his losing of election in 1960. And in fact, there are mm-hmm. some. Uh, academics that believe the election was stolen now looking at mm. it 70 years later so mm. uh but he he wanted to do what was best for the country he went on he was governor of california then he came back and he was president and left under his own problems that he had uh but it was a different way and i i am very concerned as an american first i'm a republican i'm a conservative i voted for donald trump twice and i gave him money in the last election cycle but i'm one of those suburban women that he lost okay and 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 i'm looking elsewhere in this particular primary so i don't mind saying that uh it's Uh it's a challenge where we are right now it absolutely is yes and i think that that polarization that you're speaking of is a real problem because it's not only a matter of disagreeing on topics right it's a matter of people um, demonizing people whom they disagree with or feeling that they can't have a proper conversation. Or sometimes, I don't know how you feel when you talk to friends who, you know, aren't necessarily in media but are politically engaged. I certainly have people who feel they have to sort of censor themselves in certain conversations for fear not just of being disagreed with but of sort of being... Um, Cancelled. Uh, what you can say, <laughs> rejected in some more personal way, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think... I think when the tentacles of polarization reach that deep into society to the point where we're sort of having either very guarded conversations uh, or or demonizing each other, that's obviously a, a problem. Look, and, you know, you go back and you look at history. There was lots of messy politics, okay? You go back as far as the women's suffrage movement when they were protesting in front of the White House and then President Wilson had them arrested and put into, you know, basically you know, horrible situations, had a bunch of women arrested and put in horrible situations and kept there for months without, you know, all kinds of horrible things have happened in politics. You go back and look at political cartoons from 100 years ago. They were Mm. really, you know, horrible what they said about people. But we didn't have social media. We didn't have immediate knowledge everywhere in the world about everything that was happening the way we do now. So it does seem extremely amplified. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I don't know how to get past that. No, I think that's right, and I think we're all struggling with how to get past that because doesn't it seem to you that in many ways the incentives are set up to encourage greater polarization and greater intolerance and greater anger? I mean, that's often what gets you on cable news, what makes you go viral on social media, what, if you're a politician, enables you to raise very large sums of money because you're really sticking it to the other side. There are, it's worth noting, Martha, I mean, legislators here in Washington, as there are around the country, who are operating in good faith, whether one agrees with them or not, and are seeking to uh, address problems that people face or to find resolutions. Those people are typically not as well known as, um, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And so that's... uh, that's an issue. I should say, that's not to say that AOC or MTG can never act in good faith. I think they're often sincere. But that very combative approach clearly gets you a lot of publicity. 
So where do we go from here? Because you've got the the roughly 35 percent of the electorate, and I think it's roughly 50 percent of the Republican primary electorate, but about 35 percent, 38 percent of the electorate that is going to be with Donald Trump no matter what. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. He was he said famously a few years ago, I could walk down the Fifth Avenue and kill someone and people would still be with me. Something to that effect. Uh, mm. And they're with him no matter what. My if I and I've done political consulting, I've helped I helped for Senator David Perdue get elected in his first campaign. And I worked for Governor Kemp in his first campaign. And, you know, I you know, I know how campaigns are. I you know, generally, if you've got your base, you don't keep playing to your base. But that's not what's happening here. The base has continued to get played for. And as Brett Baer famously asked uh, Donald Trump is how you going to win back the uh, suburban women and Trump said something very funny and uh, true. He said, he said, yeah, I know I need to be less combative, but I just can't. You know, I just can't do it or something like that. Right. So right. It's, it's very interesting because normally in a political cycle like this, if you have your base sewn up, you try to bring other people in. But that's not what's happening. No, that's right. Uh, and that has changed, I think, really dramatically, <clears throat> excuse me, even in the past few decades you know if you think back to let's say george w bush versus al gore uh it seems to me that they were each competing to try to win over the center ground then governor bush as he was talking about himself as a compassionate conservative then vice president al gore trying to keep his distance from uh president clinton's uh, personal issues um and seeking to win over what they considered a vital center ground voter. I think a couple of things have happened. One is a hollowing out of that center ground. The center ground perhaps unfortunately seems uh, a bit more lightly populated than it was at one point, but also the imperative to drive turnout by appealing to base voters seems to me uh, to have become much more important. People will gather from my accent that I didn't grow up here, but I've lived in the United States for for 20 years. And even over that 20-year span, I think exactly the dynamics that you're talking about have presented themselves in a much more forceful, potent way. Let me ask you a question, and if you don't know, it's fine. Um, Mm. In America, we have had parties come and go. But in the last Mm. 100 years or so, it's been pretty much Democrats and Republicans. And the Mm -hmm. one thing Democrats and Republicans agree on is they don't want anybody else at the table. They make it Mm. very difficult for a new party to come up, right? Because it's really Mm. hard to get on the ballot. It's all of that sort of thing. There's this movement out there right now called No Labels where they are talking about they're going to have a legit convention in April and they're going to try to put a Democrat-Republican ticket together. And they say they have polling that shows that if it's a Trump-Biden rematch, that there's going to be a large portion of the electorate that's going to be looking for someone else. What do you think about that? I think they are right in narrow terms, but it goes a bit wrong whenever you start locking it down into specifics. And what I mean by that is, if you say option A is President Biden, option B is former President Trump, option C is someone else, then a lot of people are going to say someone else. That's just the nature of the two candidates I mentioned and the the nature of the moment we're in. The problem for no labels is the third option isn't someone else. It's a specific 
specific person. And right now, the polling, I think, is reflecting dissatisfaction that people feel and a sort of idea of a candidate of their own choosing, of their own imagination, who can draw people together. The candidate who is most obviously or most often mentioned in relation to no labels is Senator Joe Manchin, the centrist Democrat from West Virginia. Now, with all due respect to Senator Manchin, I don't see some groundswell of enthusiasm for Joe Manchin to be president of the United States. I understand that he, because of his centrism, maybe has a certain appeal to Republicans, uh, to more moderate Republicans at least, but are they going to vote for him over a Republican nominee in a way that might enable President Biden's re-election? And and the same question or the, the parallel question would, of course, apply from the other side. So I think there's a difference between asking would you like to see anyone else for which there's a high number and would you like this named person as a third party candidate which is a much lower number yeah i think you're right about that but i i do in theory i love the competition i i as a student i went back to school and when i was 56 i'll be 64 um this this month um and i went back to school and i got my master's in american politics and i looked at um uh, women's electoral success in the Republican Party. That was my very boring thesis that I wrote um, mm-hmm. oh, for that. Yeah. But it was fun being back in school with a bunch of 25-year-olds in the kind of... Po- I did it 2016 to 2021. And so I was in a class called American Presidents um, in January of 2017. And you can mm-hmm. imagine that I had a lot of very mad 22-year-olds and 25-year-olds in my class because Trump was president. <laughs> And at that time, I worked for Senator Perdue, and so we had to introduce ourselves at the beginning of the class, and I'm, like, thinking about, okay, how can I introduce myself that they don't start throwing tomatoes at me, right? And so (laughs) I said, um, my name's Martha Zoller, I work for Senator Perdue, and I'm really happy that Hillary Clinton lost because my father told me I was going to be the first woman president, and there's still a chance. (laughs) And they laughed. They laughed. And so because of that... By the end of the semester, they looked at me as someone that could help them get a job rather than someone mm-hmm. that was just a crazy conservative Republican. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that's, you know, finding common ground is always a good thing, right? It's always a good thing. So, Niall, if more people want to read about the work that you do, how can they do that? Uh, the easiest way is to go to thehill.com. Uh, there'll be lots of articles by me and lots of my talented colleagues there but you were kind enough to mention i'm also on uh, news nation regularly especially uh, morning in america three nights a week so absolutely if they want to, two I, mornings a week i should say i love you want to go on you want I, to go on a morning show at night um so they can tune in there I, I love news nation unfortunately i'm a direct tv subscriber so they're not on there right now but i'm sure oh, they'll yes. get that they'll get that worked out but i love the fact that They approach news differently. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Michael O'Neill is joining me right now from Landmark Legal, and Landmark Legal has got a storied, you know, history, um, and was, I think, one of the original founders was was Mark Levin. He's still very involved. Um, he serves as the assistant general counsel at the Barbara K. Olson Legal um, Legal Council. Um, he is a graduate of Villanova University and Catholic University's Columbus School of Law. He specializes in constitutional and regulatory matters. Barbara Olson was a dear friend of mine. 
um, and you know, it was one of those things where we're coming up on the anniversary of 9-11 in September, and we were supposed to have um, lunch uh, when I was in D.C. in June, and we couldn't do it because we got busy, and we were going to do it next time, and there just wasn't a next time. So it was a very sad day, and I'm so glad that you're here, that you're back with us today. Hi, Martha. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny. We, we have interns and young people in our office here, and I tell them and they were just born on, on nine, you know, just after 9-11 or right around 9-11, and I just think you can remember that day. It's just one of those those days in our lives that we're always going to remember. And it's incredible that how, how time flies and how that, what is it? 22 years, 23 years, 22 years have elapsed since that day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely tragic day for all of us. And it's just one of those days that you'll always remember. And a day, everything changed. Kind of like, kind of like March of 2020, you know? Yes. Everything changed. That's right. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit first about, um, the uh, situation with the Trump indictments. Just give us your overview, what people need to know about this most recent indictment, and then what do you think it means for the president? Right. Uh, First of all, optics. I mean, this is the third time within that with within hours of something, something newsworthy, something important regarding Joe Biden or Joe Biden's family, uh, specifically the, you know, you had this, in this instance, you had that interview that you were just playing. You had the testimony of Devin Archer, who is Hunter Biden's business partner, testifying in front of the House Oversight Committee. And within hours, this, this, uh, indictment drops. And that's not the first time. This is the third time. So you're seeing a consistent pattern here. Whenever there's bad news for Joe Biden, apparently the Department of Justice or a prosecutor is going to drop an indictment on Donald Trump. So that, that in and of itself is, is, the optics are just really bad. Again, the next thing regarding optics is this special counsel who, who, uh, who's, who's put forth this indictment was appointed actually years after to investigate these in- incidences of January 6th and the election, the election of 2020. And this, this was this independent or this special counsel was appointed years afterwards. And he was appointed within days of Donald Trump announcing his candidacy for president again. So again, smacks of political politicization, smacks of weaponization of the Department of Justice and the federal law enforcement institution. So you have those optics that are questionable and raise a lot of issues. Next, you're talking about the actual indictment. This indictment is is going to have, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be some difficulties for the prosecution. First, what's working in the favor for the prosecution is the fact that it's in D.C., that the venue you're talking about here that it, it will be tried as, as of right now. I, I think Donald Trump's lawyers are going to try to change the venue. It would it would make sense to. But right now you have a judge that is an Obama appointed judge, and you have a D.C. jury. Now, just looking at the straight numbers, in in the last election, only five percent of the individuals in Washington D.C. voted for Donald Trump. So you're 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 disposed to have an unfavorable jury who is who would be seated to hear this case if it comes to trial. So you have that problem. Working in his favor, though, is the fact that this this indictment is really based on knowing what Donald Trump intended, the, what was going on in his head during the time of November, December, January of of the election time of, of 2020 and in 2021, what exactly was going on in his head? And I think the prosecution is going to have some difficulty in actually establishing that he knowingly knew what that he was propagating this conspiracy. I think that it, you can have you can have individuals saying, well, we told Donald Trump that there wasn't any fraud in this state, in state of Georgia, for example. And you can say that you can you can say that 
that establishes the fact that the individual told Donald Trump that there was no fraud. But it's going to be very difficult for the prosecution to say, to establish that he actually believed what the individual was telling him. You see what I'm saying? It's really difficult to prove fraud. It's really difficult to prove the mens rea, the mental state of the target of the indictment here. And again, this is Trump. So what do you think um, is ultimately going to happen here? Obviously, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's having to spend a lot of money. He is spending a lot of campaign money. Um, You know, my personal problem with him was that he raised one hundred million dollars in 2022. And that's a whole different issue Mm -hmm. and only spent 15 million dollars of it on his candidates. And Mm -hmm. and I think there were a lot of small donor people that thought they were going to be helping 2022 candidates. My that's my personal problem with him. Okay, because there were a lot of those folks I was supporting and they didn't get the help they thought they were going to get. Okay, Um, but I do think that this is just I think you. If you want to beat Donald Trump, you beat him at the ballot box. Doing this, mm-hmm. all these cases, I just think it hurts America because what it's going to trigger right. is kind of a tit for tat that I don't know how long that's going to go on. Exactly. I mean, you're you're talking about weaponization of the. You're, this is a this is a political decision. Again, as I said before, this the special counsel was appointed within a week of Donald Trump announcing his candidacy for the presidency. So ultimately, this. The, the fitness for, tr- for Donald Trump to be president of the United States, again, is best left to the American people. And, the, and like you just said, the ballot box. This is the, politiza- this is the weaponization of the political process. And again, this is kind of a, you know, you hear this over and over again, but not, not to dwell on it, but, or not to state it again, but it, it bears repeating. This is really a Rubicon for American politics here. You are talking about, and despite the fact that he, the, it's a fact that he is leading by leaps and bounds as of, as of the Republican nomination. I mean, he, he has viable challengers to him, and he is, he is beating them by double digits at every poll. And so this is the number one candidate from the Republican Party for the presidency that is the target of numerous, numerous uh, investigations. And ultimately, this is a decision that should be left to the ballot box. The American people know Donald Trump. We've known him for years. They know what they're getting. They know what they know. Joe Biden. It should be left to the American people to decide who the next president of the United States is. It should not be left to these prosecutors. And again, this the, the allegations in this are it's going to it, it, to hang your hat on this is as a prosecutor is going to be really tough. You're you they have to show that he had that he orchestrated a conspiracy to to defraud the United States by using dishonesty, fraud, and deceit to impair, obstruct, yeah, and defeat I mean, I the lawful was, federal government. I think he was stubborn. I think he wasn't willing. He was only believing what he wanted to believe. But I don't think that I don't think that it was criminal. Now we've got a minute left, and I want to talk just for a minute about Devin Archer. How um, yep. how damning was that testimony? Extremely damning. I, and it's funny. It's funny you say. I mean, everybody's caught up in the, in the Trump indictment, but it is absolutely devastating. You had him. You had Devin Archer stating that Joe Biden, the, pre, the when he was vice president, participated in over twenty phone calls to quote sell the brand. And what was his role in this? Well, why would Hunter Biden? Why would his son get appointed to a board of a Ukrainian energy company? But for the fact, what what experience did he have running a for an energy company in Ukraine? Zero. Why would he be paid 100000 or around $100,000 a month to simply sit on this board if not to sell the influence of the vice president of the United States? 
And I think it is absolutely devastating. I think it is imperative. Talk about special counsels. I think it's imperative that a special counsel be appointed immediately to investigate this. In the, in, in the alternative, you have to have Congress continuing to plow ahead. It is absolutely serious. These, in, in all of the noise about Donald Trump and the indictments that are coming down on Donald Trump, what is lost, again, and I think this is purposeful, what is lost are the serious allegations regarding Joe Biden and his son's involvement. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Roger Gewalb is with me right now. And, uh, you know, the Bank of England looks like they're going to be employing Mr. Bernanke. How did that go? Well, this place, since we last spoke, um, has disappeared into the ridiculous sphere I mean, nobody can actually believe that the blundering Andrew Bailey, the governor of the Bank of England, and his colleagues have raised interest rates again today against the advice of 29 gazillion people, um, another quarter percent. That is our 14th consecutive interest rate rise within a little over a year. And then, as you say, the Bank of England has hired Ben Bernanke, about the worst person they could possibly ask, to come in and check their forecasting and their spreadsheet models because they're consistently all wrong. Now, the Brits are saying, why do we need an American central banker to come over here what about the former chief economist of the Bank of England? Oh, well, the thing is, he doesn't agree with Mr. Bailey. So they're bringing over a guy who believes in, as you say, pouring tanker loads of oil on raging fires by what they call quantitative easing, printing money like there's no tomorrow, and who also believes in raising interest rates when it's having no effect on fighting inflation. I believe that Mr. Bernanke is best known, um, Martha, by no less than the New York Times for, like Mr. Bailey, uh, acting too late, missing things, not spotting things, and that his fame to claim, says the New York Times, is that he failed to spot the world financial revolution slash credit crunch of 10 years ago and then gave the banks, with no punishment, $600 billion. Now, the reason Bailey has brought him over here is because he's as bad as he is, and he's going to agree with him, and uh, that will hopefully, uh, as Bailey thinks, support his position. You know, rising to their level of incompetence, right? Exactly, and at the same time, what goes way beyond that is our diminutive prime minister, Rishi Sunak, is off to Disneyland, which is a terrific place for him to go because it resembles the world he must live in all day right now. And he's backing all of this nonsense 100%. And he announced this morning that if anybody's having trouble with their mortgages, like since all of this started, they've gone up three, four, five hundred percent. Can you? I mean, one guy said on TV that his mortgage went from one thousand eight hundred a month to two thousand five hundred a month. Can you imagine that? What he said is, 
go to your bank and extend the mortgage. And the guy said, but I'm already on 35 years. And you see, we don't have fixed rate mortgages here. The rates vary every couple of years. But, but Rishi doesn't care. I mean, the other piece of news, which you may like, is that Greenpeace this morning went and covered all of Rishi's mansion with black oil cloth, his home. So <laughs> he can't see out of any of the windows. Oh, that's funny. And, uh, that's funny. That's the big news story here today. But this Bernanke thing has just left people breathless, Martha. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. And, of course, the big story here is the third indictment of former President Trump. And he will be arraigned today. Um, and I know they're talking about this all around the world. What's the take in the U.K. on this? Well, the take, I mean, I, 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 I've been on TV a few times today. And the take is that I've had to say, whoa, whoa, everybody stop, stop, stop. You know, British politics is like tea and strawberries at Wimbledon compared to American politics. You know, in Britain, nobody wants to argue. Nobody sues anybody, if at all possible. In America, we have a dispute with someone. The first thing we do is grab a lawyer and hit them over the head with it. (laughs) So, you know, they, they don't understand litigation. They don't understand what this game is. They don't understand how, you know, people wait three years and then press charges uh, uh, because there's a double-digit lead. I mean, the thing I tried to explain to folks here is that these are criminal charges. That means a jury must come up um, with a verdict based on things being beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, there's so much stuff floating around about the previous election that, that no jury other than maybe a Washington, D.C. jury could come up with that this is all beyond a reasonable doubt. So this is just another political ploy for President uh, Obama to have his fourth term through his straw man, Sleepy Joe Biden. And, you know, you know what's, that, so, what's that, so crazy about that concept, though, Roger, is that is that and I and I know President Obama was was quoted today as you know something was leaked that he told to Joe Biden that basically you, you're going to have to take Donald Trump seriously and that he could beat you and all of that sort of thing, but it's not the A team from the Obama administration that's that is helping Joe Biden. It's the D team from the Obama administration. So you have problems with how Obama ran things as we all do. But the people that are on the Biden team are the worst parts of the Obama team. That's what's so crazy. Well, well, yeah, I mean, it's just like the people that stormed the Capitol are the worst parts of the Trump backers, many of them. You know, right. I mean, you're going you're gonna to get this sort of stuff. But, I mean, the basic principle is that the system is so polarized that people, and I'm not saying who's right and who's wrong and who should be president and who shouldn't be president. I mean, you know, I mean, <clears throat> I, 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 I think that it, it, it's, it's weaponized by those who could grab it. Look, there's three charges here. There, there's, there's three different cases. The first case of Stormy Daniels, well, you know, he allegedly That was ridiculous. A, yeah, that was ridiculous. He, he, he allegedly paid a porn star for allegedly having sex with him. Sex with, I mean, is that relevant to him being a president? Now, as I've said to people over here, and in this case, culturally... Uh, you know, the Europeans understand. I said, you know, in France, 
a president would be indicted if he didn't have at least two mistresses he was paying off. So, you know, I mean, it's all relative. The second case, the hidden papers, well, my gosh, Biden's got more papers floating around the world than Trump does. They're all over the place. He loses his itinerary in Ireland. He, I mean, there's just papers everywhere. And, of course, the uh, Department of Justice and the, the others haven't prosecuted him, but they prosecute Trump for the papers. The third case, as I say, is a criminal case about, you know, virtually high treason, if you will, terrible acts, you know, as if black and white, he tried to uh, sabotage the election. Well, no, he made claims. I don't know whether the claims are are 100% valid or not or whatever, but there is certainly not going to be criminal proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And and the New York York case is completely ridiculous. You know, the only one that might have some teeth to it is the document situation. And you know what? I know that former President Trump doesn't like to listen to people, but he 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 clearly didn't cooperate in trying to turn everything over. But I don't think it was something he should have been charged with. Well, you know, I mean, yes, that is an offense and it's an, a criminal offense. But is it the treasonous kind of right. thing that they're all squawking about? Because, you know, with with what you might call Chinese whispers over here, this is sounding like, I mean, you should hear some of the hosts on TV and radio over here. How can you have a president who has committed high treason? To get, I mean, something yeah. gets lost on its making. In the its translation. Even though we're yeah, all speaking English, it gets lost in translation. <laughs> because if somebody is sued, the, that's it for the British. You're done, boy. I mean, you know, nobody gets sued. Well, sorry, this is American. People get sued and sue all day long. Really? Well, and the other side of that, right, is that people settle cases even when they're not guilty because they just want to move on. That's another concept people don't understand. Don't understand. Absolutely don't understand. It's just it's a different system. You know, I had a bunch of guys come over here not all that long ago with some television stations that were in trouble in America and the the financing was held over here and they came over here and they arrived all these lawyers in their Brooks Brothers suits and these expensive briefcases. And they said, where's the blue backs? And I said, they don't have blue back legal documents here. Well, what does the trustee in bankruptcy use? Well, there is no trustee in bankruptcy. Well, wait a minute. What, what happens if somebody goes, I mean, they had prepared a whole case, probably spent millions based on as if they were in Indiana. And they, they didn't even get that the system's completely different. The two sides don't understand each other, so the news reporting is abysmally bad. Well, it's abysmally bad over here, too. Roger Gewalb, if people want to know more about the work you're doing, how can they do that? Uh, I'm on Twitter, which now seems to be called X. And my X handle is at Dr. D-R, Roger, R-O-G-E-R, Gewalb, G-E-W-O-L-B. And I'm on YouTube. Just look for Roger Gewold. He's prolific on YouTube, that's for sure. Thank you so much for being with me today. (laughs) Thank you, Martha. God bless. Putting the talk in news talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Kelly Leffler is joining me right now on the phone. She's the former United States Senator. She also created Greater Georgia, which we're going to talk in a moment about 
uh, a new candidate school or candidate development initiative that they're going to have. But first, we wanted to talk with her about her joining Public Square. Kelly Leffler, welcome to the program. Good good morning, Martha. It's great to be with y'all. Thank you so much. So tell us why you got involved in Public Square and what your involvement's going to be. Well, Martha, you know, there's a, a long history of me being in business and a, and a shorter history of me, of me being in politics. But <laughs> what comes together in all of that is really, you know, advocating for the American dream for everyone. And I think Public Square is a great example of a business that was, it's an entrepreneurial business. It's an app. You can download it. It's uh, Public Square in the App Store. Um, and basically what it allows citizens to do is look for businesses that align with their values. And what we've seen across America is businesses actually going against American values. We don't have to look very far. It's Bud Light destroying $400 million in revenues, $27 billion in market cap for promoting a radical trans agenda that Americans just say, look, that's that we don't want to vote with um, our dollars uh, in supporting that, so we're going to vote against it. It's things like Target pushing uh, a transgender ideology on young children. It's Disney. Uh, it's Ben and Jerry's. And so the the beauty of what Public Square is doing is saying, look, politics doesn't have to be interwoven in everything. It doesn't have to be forced down our throats. And what we can do is stand with businesses, particularly small businesses that support American values, freedom, opportunity, equality, uh, capitalism. These are, five years ago, it would be hard to imagine that it would take bravery by a company to stand up for capitalism against socialism or communism. That's controversial now. Um, Standing for our Judeo-Christian values and just putting it all together in an app so that your hard-earned dollars don't go to fund these companies that are willing to promote radical ideas that are really um, not welcome in in large parts of the country. When you think about um, the, the size, the sheer economic buying power of great patriots across this country that, that care about the future of um, not just the economy, it's for the country and for our children, future generations. Well, I mean, and it's so all that's about, what's exciting. It's all about knowing who your customer is, right? I mean, Nick Ayers, who we both know, uh, just uh, started this company, Every Life, which is a diaper company that gives its profits or some of its profits to uh, pro-life issues, which would seem like a no-brainer for a, car, for a diaper company, but is not what had been happening. And you're seeing it, uh, I just saw on TV, you mentioned Disney, that in the height of summer for the last six weeks, and even up to last night, Disney has been advertising 25% off of their hotels uh, on their properties, which is was unheard of. I mean, they're being hurt, too. I haven't seen their financials. But I just know as a marketing person who's been in marketing most of my life, okay, it's the high season. It's summertime in Disney World, and they're advertising 25% off. Something's wrong there. Well, and that's the power we have as consumers. We can vote with our dollars. And so I am encouraging people to really look at things from that perspective of, you know, we can we can vote every year in different elections and so forth, but we can vote every day with our dollars. And it's exactly what you said. It comes down to companies not understanding their customers and not only not understanding their customers, but attacking their values. 
And so what I like to think of it as we're destroying economic value by threatening to destroy our American values. And so I really applaud companies that are willing to stand up and say, we're just not going to do woke ideology. We're not going to do DEI. Um, and and it's a big part of what this ESG agenda is. And so we have to be vigilant about this every day and be proactive. And that's why there's over 1.1 million uh, members of the Public Square app already within a year. There's 55,000 participating businesses, many of them small businesses, which are the economic engine and, and growth engine of America. And so I'd encourage people to take a look from it, from the perspective of being encouraged that there are alternatives and that there is a patriot economy out there that is growing. So shifting gears a little bit and putting your Greater Georgia hat on, you guys have recently announced a candidate recruitment program uh, for the municipal elections. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Martha, I don't have to tell you how important local elections are um, and and elections right now all the conversation is around 2024 and many people don't even know that we have elections this year in georgia in about three months november 7th we'll have municipal elections in fact in gainesville uh there are three city council seats up and three board of education seats so it's one of the few uh, municipalities that actually has board of education seats up so what we decided to do is if you look at what the left does they build all their efforts locally. In fact, the Democrat Socialist Party recruits locally. And we just said, look, we can't let our cities and towns fall to the radical left. And so we're going to stand up and help conservative candidates through this process by conducting workshops with experts, whether it's uh, compliance experts, campaign experts, and helping them have the tools, understand the timeline, uh, for example, qualifying in Georgia starts August 21st uh, and it, on Monday, and it ends that Friday on the 25th. So we've got like a short window to qualify, and then it's off to the races because early voting will start within like a month and a half of that, so or a month of that. So we've been really blown away by the response, um, just the number of people that have uh, submitted interest in it and then turned out on our first workshop um, a couple dozen candidates came to that call very prepared with great questions. And these are these are our neighbors in our communities. These are moms and dads putting themselves forward for public service. It's so important that we do that because everything good that happens happens locally. And it is true that all politics are local. So we can't get caught up in 24 and overlook the fact that local elections are so important and important to our state too if you think about my view is that federalism will save this country to have a strong republican governor to have a house and senate that is controlled by uh, republicans and then to have conservatives in local offices even when they're nonpartisan, but to stand with the values of the community of law and order of having a reasonable tax regime not a high tax and spend uh, pro-criminal environment and people that care about our schools, the quality of education, um, producing our next generation of great American leaders. You know, and it's so important because these are people that actually make decisions that impact your life immediately. Uh, and in general, they run with no opposition. That once you get in, and I know I always get in trouble when I encourage opposition in, in, in elections, but I think it's a good thing. One of the things I'm really excited about is that in a lot of races where there hasn't been 
opposition before, there are going to be choices among the candidates in these local races. And I think that's great. It's not sure it's hard for the guy that's the incumbent that now has got to run a a more uh, a more uh, robust campaign. But I think it's better for the electorate. It absolutely is. And it's better that we don't let the left go unchallenged in these races that um, we just yield the seat and we have to make our case. And the more, uh, you know, resources they have, the better they're able to make the case. And so we're proud to provide that through Greater Georgia. It's one of our most successful programs to date. And I think it really demonstrates the energy on the ground, the awareness that people now have of exactly what you just said, Martha, which is people are waking up to the fact that the quality of life is directly impacted locally. I mean, just look at what's going on in Atlanta with the police uh, and fire safety training center, the public training center. I mean, there are people that don't want our police and fire department to be better trained. We need to wake up and say, who, who would that be? Um, because that is really the foundation of a safe, secure, prosperous society is law and order. Absolutely. Kelly, if people want to know more, how can they find out? Go to greatergeorgia.com and you'll see uh, backslash recruitment, greatergeorgia.com backslash recruitment. And you can sign up, jump on our next webinar. Um, We'd love to share ideas and uh, resources to make sure that people have what they need to get going. Absolutely. Kelly Leffler, thanks for being with me today. Thanks, Martha. Have a great day. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com, and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.